So we're going to pass out some notes. It's going to help you. We've talked about the importance of being a Berean, where you search out the scriptures for yourself. You know, I'm kind of like a tour guide every week where I just kind of walk you through the scriptures, but you're going to get a whole lot more out of it if you dig into the scripture yourself. And so these study guides that I'm going to be putting together every week are going to help you. And um, also, we learn better when we're writing at the same time that we're listening. So um, not only are these going to be available here every week, but they're also going to be available online. So if you happen to miss a week and you go online where our messages are, you can find these to download. And so I hope that you'll find these helpful. But today we are kicking off our new series in the book of Colossians. So I am really excited about what God's going to do. I've titled this series Rooted because one of the key verses in the book of Colossians is Colossians chapter 2, verse 7 which says, let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. This text is the basis of our new discipleship curriculum. That was the 2-7 series that we talked about by Navigators. So to grow and be an effective disciple of Jesus, we have got to be rooted in him. Discipleship is not about the accumulation of information. It's about life transformation as we follow Jesus by staying rooted in him. Now, the Apostle Paul, he wrote the book of Colossians. So that's your first point there. He's the author. He's the one who wrote it. And uh, he wrote this from a Roman prison sometime between 60 and 62 AD. Now, his main purpose in writing this book was to combat the heresies that were finding their way into the church. And uh, these heresies were the result of combining all kinds of different uh, ideas and religions from other things into the Christian faith. And so you might be wondering to yourself, how in the world could that happen in a Christian church? Well, the answer is unfortunately easy. We've got an enemy that loves to sow discord. He loves to do that. And... Um, he will just sow any kind of seed of, of discord in the church, and that's how heresy finds its way in. And so the main heresy that we're talking about here in the book of Colossians, it really it came at, the, at some point they actually named it. It was called Gnosticism. Gnosticism is with special emphasis on having a, uh, a particular knowledge, right? Special knowledge, special revelation. And then they also deny that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, Satan continues to deceive, and he continues to sow his lies, even within the church, unfortunately. And we see the same kind of heresies that happened back then happening today. Now, I'm going to share six common heresies with you. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. That's not my focus. So I'm not going to try to defend each and every one of these in depth. But I will tell you that our statement of beliefs that we passed out last week to you, it's kind of our draft of our core beliefs, you know, what we believe the non-negotiables of our faith, these pretty much do a good job directly addressing these heresies that I'm about to share with you. But the first one is this. The first heresy is that Jesus was a prophet. He was a great teacher and a pretty good guy, but he wasn't the son of God. It may not quite be that obvious and in your face, but anything that paints Jesus other than the son of God is false. And that's how, that's how sneaky Satan is, right? What he'll do is he'll give a little bit of truth mixed with a lie. That's his formula for deception. But we know this. We know that Jesus was fully God and he was fully man. 
As God's one and only son, he lived a sinless life here on this earth, and he gave himself as a perfect sacrifice. He did that for the sins of the whole world by dying on a cross. And then he demonstrated his power over sin and death through his resurrection from the dead after three days. You see, Jesus is Lord, and one day he will return for his people. Another heresy alive today is that the Bible is a great book and has a lot of good truth, but it is not without errors or corruption. So don't take it too literally or seriously or worry about applying all of its teaching to your life. Again, this is false. The Bible is true. It's God's holy and living word. It is the absolute truth without error. The Holy Spirit is the divine author and originator of the Bible. It's not the result of man's interpretation. It's not the product of human effort. God used the individual personalities and experience of the human writers, but it was actually the Holy Spirit who breathed the words into their hearts and minds. Now, third common heresy is that God will take everyone to heaven. Everything will work out just fine. Don't worry about hell. It's all good. As a matter of fact, hell doesn't even exist. This is often called universalism. If you know your Bible, then you know that this is false. There's only one way to heaven, and we recognize that we are sinners, and without putting our complete faith in Jesus, there will be no heaven for us. Everyone has an eternal destination, one of two places, either eternally separated from God by sin in hell, or eternally united with God through forgiveness and salvation in heaven. That's the truth. A fourth common heresy is that good people go to heaven. This is different than universalism, which says everyone goes to heaven. This heresy takes the form that if you're good enough, you will go to heaven. You know, if the good in your life outweighs the bad, and maybe you just avoid the big sins, you'll be okay, and you'll get to go to heaven. Again, this is false. We know that salvation is only by grace alone, through our faith alone, in Christ alone. It's Jesus plus nothing. Our good works have nothing to do with our earning our salvation. As a matter of fact, we can't ever do anything to earn our salvation because it's solely a gift. It's by God's grace through our faith. And a fifth common heresy is that as a Christian, you will be healthy and wealthy. Man, I love this one. You can turn the TV in on and watch that all day. Man, hey, just send me your money and you're going you're gonna to be blessed, aren't you? It's amazing what you hear out there. Health and wealth. But if you truly know your Bibles, you know that the Bible never promises that. It never promises that. I could go on. I could talk about one of the main tenets of Calvinism that uh, teaches that only an elect, you know, a special group of chosen people get to go to heaven. We know that's false, too. We all have a free will to choose to follow him. And Jesus didn't die for just an elect special group of people. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, that means everyone, that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever, that whosoever is anyone, that's you, that's me, that's anyone who puts their trust in Jesus, would believe in him, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And then 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. You see, there's your everyone and anyone again. That destroys the idea that only an elect group of people are saved. And I'm just going to stop right there. I could go on. There are a lot of heresies out there. I'll just say this. 
be very, very wary with any of the isms that are out there because they're all man-made. Mormonism, Calvinism, universalism, ism, ism, ism. Watch out for those. Beware. So let me get just back on track of where we're going. Okay, We're going to talk about how the Apostle Paul, he wrote this book, the book of Colossians, to combat the heresies that were going on in the Colossian church. And today we're going to go over the first 12 verses in chapter 1. Because it's in these verses that Paul gives us seven marks of an alive and healthy church. And you guys know how much I love the number seven. It's funny how that just keeps coming up, isn't it? Last week, we laid the foundation of what we need to be united on as we plant the remnant church. There is one God. We have one enemy. And we are one family. Each of us has a role to play in that family. And we have one purpose. To be a disciple of Jesus who becomes a disciple maker for Jesus. If you missed last week's message, I want to encourage you, go online and listen to that, because it's foundational for where we're going to go. And so today we're going to build on that foundation. We're going to build on it by what makes an alive and healthy church. I can't even begin to tell you how awesome it is to see how God perfectly aligned his word for what we need to hear right now at this very moment. So let's just jump into our text for today. Colossians chapter 1, if you've got your Bibles, we'll be looking at the first 12 verses. Now, as a disciple myself, many, many years ago, my disciple told me, hey, do you want to know how to remember where the book of Colossians is? He told me this. He said, go eat potato chips. Go eat potato chips. Do you remember that? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. You'll never forget where Colossians is. All right? Next time you open your Bible, you're going to be remember that. Next time you see a bag of potato chips, you're going to remember this. All right, we can do all kinds of things here to help you get into the Word so that you'll remember, so you'll know this stuff. You won't be that guy or that gal sitting in a group meeting, and you're like, somebody says, turn to Colossians. Like, oh, no, where is it? You know, if you've got the thumb index Bible, you're kind of a cheater, right? You can just pull it out. You're not going to need to know that now, because you'll be like, go eat potato chips. I can find it. All right, so now as we unpack our text this evening, we will see how the Holy Spirit has given us seven things that characterize an alive and healthy church. Now, the first few are in rapid succession. So get ready. Here we go. Number one comes from verse four. Comes from verse four, where Paul says, we have heard of your faith. So the first mark of an alive and healthy church is compelling faith. Compelling faith. Paul had never personally visited the city of Colossae, but he had obviously heard of the Colossians' faith. You see, when there is compelling faith, others hear about it. With compelling faith, there is power, there is conviction, there is an attractiveness that compels others to want to learn more, because compelling faith is contagious faith. Compelling faith is faith that grows and multiplies. It's faith that is rooted in Jesus and draws others to be rooted in Jesus too. Now in the very same verse, the Holy Spirit draws others, right? He draws others, we're going to see this. In this very same verse, we'll see that second mark here. It says, we have heard of your faith and your love for all of God's people. Love. Compassionate love. That's the second mark of an alive and healthy church. Compassionate love is a love that cares. It's a love that is kind, that is patient, that empathizes. It's not an empty love that's just about words. Compassionate love takes action. Compassionate love makes sacrifices. Compassionate love is sensitive and responsive to the needs of others. 
No one embodies compassion and love more than Jesus himself. He gave us a model that was perfect and complete. It was a compassionate love that ministered to the whole person, their physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. And you can see several examples of this in Scripture. When Jesus fed the 5,000 and the 4,000, both instances were miracles that met physical needs. And the motivation behind this, both of those miracles, was compassionate love. You and I need to have this kind of love. We need to have that kind of love when we're meeting the physical needs of others. And then in Luke chapter 7, Jesus is empathetic to a widow who had lost her only son. The word says in Luke chapter 7, verse 13, that his heart overflowed with compassion. Jesus, his heart overflowed with compassion. And he told the woman, he said, don't cry. And then he walked over to her son's coffin and he touched it. And he told that young man, get up. And the young man got up. he come back from the dead. You see, Jesus met her emotional needs. She had already lost her husband, and now she had lost her only son too. And Jesus intervenes with compassionate love. Now we can't necessarily meet emotional needs like Jesus can. You and I can't do that, right? Not necessarily. I don't know the last time anyone I know went up to a coffin and raised him from the dead. I believe that can happen through the power of the Holy Spirit, but it's not something we see every day. But we can't just think that compassionate love is about meeting someone's physical needs. Sometimes we're going to have to go deeper, and we're going to have to meet emotional needs. We're going to have to meet emotional needs as well. And oftentimes, meeting these kinds of needs is going to be inconvenient because it's going to take more time. You know, when you're meeting physical needs, sometimes all you got to do is you've got to give some money. You've got to help out with this or help out with that, and you're done. But with emotional needs, oh, man, you got it, it gets messy. You've got to get involved, don't you? You have to sit down. You've got to listen. Sometimes you're going to pray. You're going to offer support, whatever it is. But whatever it looks like, we need to meet the emotional needs of others. Now, Jesus came to this earth to fulfill his mission to save the lost, but he went above and beyond his mission because of his compassionate love. And he was genuinely disturbed over the spiritual condition of the people that he saw. We know this because we can look at Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 and 36, where it says this. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He was disturbed about the spiritual needs of those that he saw. We should be disturbed, too, about the spiritual needs of others. And, you know, it's not always about, you know, people that are lost. I mean, that's important. We want to see people that are lost get found. We absolutely do. But you know, sometimes those who are already in the faith need us to come alongside them and encourage them. That's what compassionate love does. It meets the physical, emotional, and spiritual needs of people. Now, if we jump back in our text, we jump back in our text and we look at verse 5, we're going to see the next characteristic of an alive and healthy church. Verse 4, For we have heard of your faith and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. Confident hope. 
That's the third mark of an alive and healthy church. And that's where our compelling faith and our compassionate love come from. It comes from our confident hope in what God has waiting for us in heaven. Now, first, uh, Peter talks about this in First Peter. He says this in chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. You see, the truth of the good news is that we were dead in our sins until Jesus saved us from our sins. He did that by his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. The good news is the power behind our confident hope because of that inheritance that Jesus has waiting for us in heaven. That makes anything that we go through in this life trivial in comparison, doesn't it? In verse 6 of our main text, we see the power and the effect of the good news. Watch this. Verse 6. The same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. And now we see the fourth mark of an alive and healthy church. Changed lives. A true salvation experience will always result in a changed life. How do I know that? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You know, there is a transformation that takes place the moment that someone says yes to Jesus. There will be evidence also of salvation in that person's life by the fruit that they bear. There's no fruit. There's no salvation. It's as plain and simple as that. And the fruit that people bear, it should be love, joy, peace, patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And you know what? If you think about that fruit, that fruit, are char- those are characteristics of our God. Because our God is love. Our God is joy. Our God is peace. Our God is faithful. Our God is good. Right? So we've got to be all of those things. An alive and healthy church, this is the kind of fruit that you should see right there. And then in verse 7. Paul says, you learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. You see, Epaphras was the founder and the leader of the church in Colossae. And that brings us to the fifth characteristic of an alive and healthy church. Committed leaders. Committed leaders. Epaphras was a faithful servant leader. That's the kind of leaders an alive and healthy church need. Committed leaders are both faithful and serving. Committed leaders look out for the needs of those they lead, and they do it with humility. On the night before Jesus was arrested, he gave his disciples a very important lesson when he washed all of their feet. You see this in John chapter 13, beginning in verse 12. It says, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right. Because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. You see, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords humbled himself 
and he washed his followers' feet to teach them a very important lesson on serving. He washed his disciples' dirty feet. Committed leaders serve even when it gets dirty. And let me tell you, ministry can be very messy. Committed leaders are faithful to follow Jesus and to selflessly and lovingly serve others through the messiness of life. So to have an alive and healthy church, we need to see compelling faith. We need to see compassionate love. We need to see confident hope. Change lives. Committed leaders. And number six, constant prayers. We should see constant prayers. That comes from verse 9 here in our text. Paul says, so we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We've not stopped praying for you. There's the constant prayers right there. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. We go on to verse 10. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power, so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you, you be filled with joy. An alive and healthy church prays constantly. Paul says we have not stopped praying for you. I don't know about you, but that's what I want. I want brothers and sisters in Christ who are constantly praying to our Heavenly Father. And listen, if you ever want to know how to pray for someone, just look at what Paul did here in this text. If you're ever at a loss on how can I pray for someone, check out what, how Paul prayed. He asked God to give the Colossians complete knowledge of God's will, spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that they would know how to apply the knowledge. For their lives to have spiritual fruit, to grow as they get to know God more and more, to be strengthened by God's power, to have endurance and patience, and to top it all off, to be filled with joy. Amen. I want that kind of prayer. I want people praying for me like that. You see, remnant people are praying people. To have an alive and healthy church, there has to be constant, chair, uh, constant prayers. Has to be. And the last mark of an alive and healthy church is continual appreciation. We see this in verse 12 of our text, where it says, May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. Always thanking the Father, he said. An alive and healthy church demonstrates continual appreciation by always thanking God. Ephesians 5.20 reminds us that we are to always give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, if we're still breathing, we have reason to be thankful, no matter what's happening in our lives. And even more than what's happening in our lives, if you look at the end of verse 12, it reminds us that our ultimate thanks what it should be about. It should be about the inheritance that awaits us in heaven for those of us who live in the light. You know, last week we laid the foundation for what we need in planning this church. We've got to be united that there is one God, we are one family, and we have one purpose, to be a disciple who becomes a disciple maker for Jesus. And for us to have an alive and healthy church, we must have these seven things. We've got to have compelling faith, that kind of faith that draws people in. 
You've got to have compassionate love. That's real love. That's love that takes action. It can't just be words. We've got to take action. We've got to have confident hope. Because that's where our love and our faith stem from, is from that hope. And then we've got to have changed life. That means we've got to be bearing fruit. Number five, we've got to have committed leaders, those leaders that are servants, right? That are faithful and they're servants. Number six, we've got to be in constant prayer. And number seven, continual appreciation, always giving thanks. So let me ask you this. Do you have these things in your life? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that you've given us the blueprint right here in your word for an alive and healthy church. And we just ask, God, that you would just anoint this effort that we are right now to plant this church because we want to do it so we'll bring glory to you. Because we're interested in building people. We're not interested in building buildings. Now, we need a building. You know that. But our heart is that we want to build people. We want to build people that will matter, that will matter, that will get out there and be disciples who make other disciples. It's all about multiplication, Lord, for you. And the days are growing short. And so we just ask Jesus that there be a mighty move amongst all of us here. That you give us a sense of urgency to reach people. That you give us a sense of urgency for us to grow in you. That we take your word seriously. That we spend time in it. That we learn from it. That we challenge one another. That we hold each other accountable. We thank you, Lord, that uh, you are such a gracious, giving, loving, caring God. We are excited about what you're going to do. And we will continue to press into you regardless of what happens. Thank you, Jesus. If there's anyone here today that maybe you're thinking to yourself, you know, I'm, there's a lot there that I'm missing. My faith isn't compelling or my love just isn't compassionate enough. I've said a lot, but I haven't done a lot. If that's you, just know now's the time that you can make that reset with him. You can rededicate your life to him right now. You can say, hey, Jesus, I need you. I need you to reset things. If that's you, and you want me to pray for you, I just ask for you to slip up your hand and I'll do it. Anyone here kind of, kind of have a reset so that they'll live their lives as this blueprint, as Paul has shared with us in Colossians. Hey, others of you may be here and you're like, you know, I recognize that this is what I want for my church. And I'm going to commit to pray. I'm going to commit to pray that we'll see this lived out in the remnant church going forward. Any, any of you here want to see that happen? Slip up your hand so I can pray. Good. I was hoping I'd see a bunch of hands. Father God, we just come before you now and thank you that you will honor what we ask here because we know it will bring glory to you. So we just thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.